Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, and this is a basketball edition of the BCJ Podcast. Just kind of came together last minute. Um, the season starts tomorrow for basketball, so wanted to get something up. First off, I want to say thanks to all of our uh, members that have wished my wife and my family well. Um, an update on that for those that, that don't know. Uh, she was... Uh, diagnosed with multiple myeloma this week which is a blood cancer but it is treatable and the prognosis is good so we are in good spirits uh she's still in the hospital probably through the weekend um but hopefully gets to come home soon and get her on the path to feeling better so it's been a terrifying 10 days or so for my family i appreciate everybody for uh hanging with us i appreciate my bearcat journal team for taking care of content and keeping the site moving while I've been occupied. And uh, hopefully we will get back to normal here very soon. So that's kind of where everything is on that. I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, it has been appreciated by my wife and my family very much. And uh, things are fairly good. And the news is fairly, I mean, obviously it's not good news, but um, as as good as the news could possibly be for uh, what we've been through the last week. So that's kind of where the Brendel family is at, and uh, the Bearcat Journal family is still going strong, and we've got a basketball season that is uh, ready to go. So I bring on my main man, the director of content on the basketball side, Justin Berg. Justin, what's going on, buddy? What does it mean that I'm about 10 times more excited about this Savannah State game than I am about the Crosstown shootout this year? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that here shortly. <laughs> it's going to be fun. There's no question it's going to be fun. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys behind the curtain a little bit. We did not plan to do this podcast. Um, I just happened to uh, – I had to get home and take the dog out and uh, do some things here. I was like, yeah, let's do a late-night basketball podcast before the season starts. Berg said, okay. We, we don't have topics. We don't uh, really have anything right now. We're kind of going to be like Savannah State. 12 seconds yeah. on the shot clock, we're just chucking threes, chucking threes, <laughs> firing from deep. Uh, Berg, the, the first thing, uh, obviously, uh, that, that uh, we probably should touch on is Logan Johnson, uh, six foot two point guard, signed with the Bearcats on Wednesday, the uh, point guard of the future for Mick Cronin and his program. They were uh, hell-bent on landing their point guard in this 2018 recruiting class to take over when uh, Kane Broom and Justin Jennifer have moved on. They believe they have the right guy with Logan Johnson. I know you've watched some tape on him. You've talked to uh, a coach in his league. Uh, what's your overall feel on Logan Johnson? This is a tough one for me because I haven't seen him play. Um, I, I didn't get to see him play this spring and summer, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to your expertise on this. Well, I'm just, I'll defer to the coach I talked to and what I, I loved how he came right out and said that the thing that he first thinks about with Logan Johnson is that it seems like he's always playing downhill. And so that goes along with the kind of the new era of Cincinnati basketball now with, with Kane Broom in the mix and Justin Jennifer going to get some time and just the, the idea of trying to play faster and, and attacking more. And so it sounds like he would fit right in with that and then just how good of a kid he is and how he competes on the defensive end and um he works hard and I think like the coach said that they they did it, the knock on him maybe midway through his high school career was he wasn't the best outside shooter so they they had a, a game plan to just let him shoot and he didn't do so well then the next time they tried it again he was making everything so you can tell that he has the work ethic and um just it sounds like he has head he has his head on straight and comes from good pedigree. His older brother was a walk-on at Fresno State and worked all the way to getting a multi-year deal uh, with the Miami Heat a couple of years ago. So he knows what it means to grind and work hard, and obviously that, that fits with uh, everything that Cincinnati basketball stands for at this point. So, yeah, I think that's the guy that they want, and they pinpointed it, and uh, they got it done. And I know he's he's out of the Bay Area. He's, he's, he's a California kid, and I think you know, UCLA was a little bit in the mix. I'm not sure – how hard they were going after him, but it sounds like that uh, Mick and, and uh, Savino were, were on him pretty good, and, and and he visited, and once he visited, he said, this is my spot. You know, it's interesting, the, the, the thing about his brother. Um, 
I wonder if there's a walk, another walk on in the NBA. Hmm. Good question. I, I'm curious because I like I don't know of like his story is pretty well known because he became really good for Fresno State after starting out as a walk on. Obviously, a late bloomer. Uh, there's some hope that that maybe Logan has a little bit at, in him as well in terms of uh, getting bigger and stronger and and maybe growing a little bit still um, in his future. But I, I, that's for me that I mean that's just not it's un, like you hear it hear of it in the NFL a pretty fair amount because those guys you know even the walk-ons their bodies change so much because of football like you don't know who's gonna to put 40 pounds on and all of a sudden look like a different human being as a football player basketball you kind of are what you are yeah you can get bigger and stronger but I mean, you don't really change your entire physical appearance all that much in basketball. Your muscles might get bigger, but you're still pretty much the same build that you were. Um, it's just not something in basketball you ever hear of. Very yeah, rarely I'm, do you hear of a walk-on even getting minutes in college, like significant minutes in college. True. Yeah. I mean, I think just it, it just proves that uh, if you really want something – and you're willing to put the time in and, and you just won't be denied that you can achieve it. And it's, I mean, you know, and, and it's, I know that, you know, Kil, Sean Kilpatrick with UC, he wasn't a walk on, but he did redshirt that, you know, he wasn't good enough to get minutes his first year on campus and he ends up in the NBA. So not quite the extreme of just being a complete walk on, but still in that, in that same mold uh, as far as the work ethic. So, I mean, Sean was yeah, rated, what, 300, 400th in the country, like 400. You know, there, there was a lot of guys ahead of Sean. So right, I, I don't right. think it's dissimilar I, because I think it took no. a similar, similar level of work. And the one thing I do know is that, that Tyler was uh, involved in the process, not as much as Logan's mom, who was, you know, who was running the show. But Tyler had some input, and, and I know the one thing he liked is that he was going to get coached at Cincinnati. It wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't, you know, there – they, there was nothing that was going to be handed to him when he got here, and and they respected that and they had a lot of belief in that, and I think you know for Logan long term I think that's a good sign because he understood what he was getting into. I know when he was he was at a workout when he uh, when he visited, and I know he was really attracted to what he saw at that workout because that work those workouts in the summer and, and Cincinnati practices are more intense than anywhere you're going to see. Uh, you might find some places that are about on the same level, but there are very, very, very few places where, you, where they, they work harder than Cincinnati, where they put more into it than what Cincinnati does. So um, I think, you know, in terms of style and, and what you're going to expect from the kid, I think he's going to be a great fit. And, uh, I mean, it, it's really hard to believe, you know, they go in and get one of the top players in the state of California, um, and sneak him right out from from under the Pac-12 and get him to come to Cincinnati and, and be the point guard of the future. Yeah, and of course, just to add, he he can get up and dunk off uh, two feet and one. So, uh, and I, I think as he gets stronger, he'll be doing that in traffic a little bit too. Uh, but yeah, I think you, you you hit everything on him. And and one other thing about that, like what you just mentioned, as far as watching the workout and and just being impressed and and feeling like that's where he where he belongs and that you're starting to see a trend of that and that, that it, there's almost an, you know, the identity and there it's just, it's just like the, the, you see Nasir Brooks, a guy who says, you know, he, he, he focuses and says, Oh look, Cincinnati, that's what I want to be. That, that they play my kind of game. That's where I'd fit. And then Kane Broom, he, he took a look at Cincinnati versus Creighton and, you know, he thought chip on the shoulder type of thing. He felt like he belonged there. I mean, it's like a, you're starting to see these types of kids that that maybe feel overlooked and and uh, but also identify with the, the work ethic. So one of the two, and yeah, so he he I don't think he's overlooked, but I think like you said, he identifies with how hard. So there is a, a, a you know some traction with that that what Cronin and the staff has built over the twelve years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hear it from most of the kids that come in. Well, the kids that come in and and don't want it and and, and are and are. Uh, sh like shy away from that, they're they're not a fit here anyway. Like it, right. it doesn't work. I've seen a couple kids come in that that thought it was going to be easy and and thought that they were going to get their way and they were going to back talk coach and practice and they they don't last very long. 
So yeah, yeah. So it's a, that's a great get. Is he? And and I'm sure people are going to be asking, what is he three? I think probably some recruiting services have him as a three. Others have him as before. He's he still has his whole senior year to go. There's a good chance he's going to be a solid four um, across the board, right? Or was that what you would think? Yeah, he's I know a, you haven't seen him. He's a four on 24-7. He's a four on scout. I think Rivals has got him a little bit lower, but they do have him in their top 150. Uh, yeah. So it, it's not like he's, you know, an under-the-radar recruit um, by right. any stretch of the imagination. And, and doing that while not playing on one of the big travel teams is a uh, is a pretty big accomplishment in today's culture and not, you know, yeah. not being on one of the shoe-affiliated AAU programs. Um, yeah, and if and I'm sorry, one last thing. I mean, just to say, if if you're listening and you haven't heard the uh, the interview um, with the, the coach in his league, um, it, you know, it, it just it, it, for an, a, an opposing coach to say the things they say about him, uh, you know, about a player. I mean, that that just that just bodes very well for for you know what he'll be at UC. So I think you'd really like that if you haven't heard that yet. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, all right, now let's talk about the the game that you might be more excited about than if Cincinnati plays for the national title. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, want, uh, yeah. I don't <laughs> want to spend a lot of time on it because most people no. aren't going to be able to, to, to get this listen in before the game starts. But for those of you that, that listen to it late on Thursday night or maybe start your day with it on Friday to get ready for the season, Savannah State, the fastest team in the country. Yeah, and they – used to be one of the slowest teams as recently as a couple of years ago. I love that story with, with Horace Brodnax, the coach, he, you know, he played at Georgetown in college and, and uh, you know, he built the team on defense and grinding and, and just, you know, it's almost the same <laughs> parallel with, with Cincinnati. And uh, they had trouble scoring though. And, and, it, and it caught up to him. And so finally he just said, you know what, screw this. We're just going to let the kids run and shoot and we're not going to have any plays and, and uh, it's a fun atmosphere, I'm sure, to play. And I'm sure uh, a guy like Trevor Moore will probably look across and say, man, that'd be fun to play for them because all they do is, I mean, he could, they'd probably let him take about 15 or 20 threes oh, a game. There'd be no, there'd be no letting him. He, it, like, yeah. in that system, he would take them. Yeah, because they took the most in the country last year, made the most per game. And, uh, you know, they aren't interested in, in really any defense. That, the, the, the most recent exhibition game, they lost it. They, they forced 29 turnovers, and they gave up 103 points. I've never heard of anything close to like that before. So um, so I think tomorrow will be interesting because I don't think Cincinnati, I mean, they don't want to slow the game down at all. And, and Mick said that the other day. I know you asked him, you know, is there a way to slow them down? And not really. So it should just be a track meet like the old Loyola Marymount days and uh, with probably a little bit less talent than they used to have. But um, yeah, I don't think I, mean, what I don't do you, think Hank yeah. Gathers and Bo Kimball are walking through that door. Rest, <laughs> yeah, rest, I mean Dexter, Dexter Hank. Yeah, I mean Dexter McClanahan's walking through that door, and and he looks like a baller, six foot five. He can he can do a lot. Uh, but yeah, they've they've just got a, a just a, a deep roster. They just throw everybody in there, let them shoot, whatever the case is, and run up and down. And uh, so I, I'm interested to see. I mean, this could be you see. I don't think they've ever got to 130 in a game. I forget what the all time record is. Um, I think it had been in the 120s a couple times in their history. So they, this is a decent chance to to set an all all time scoring record tomorrow. That in, in a single game. I mean, it's a it's definitely like a, a challenge to what Mick wants this year's team to be. All right, you guys want to play fast? Let's go. Like, yeah. Here, this team is is chucking within 10 seconds if they can. Yeah. It shorter. I mean, I you saw the clip on there. They just threw the ball inbounds all the way down to the other side. The guy just caught it, took one dribble, and shot a three. So that was like two two seconds. So you, uh, you don't you don't I, I, average yeah. twelve. They average twelve seconds per possession. You don't right. average twelve unless you're doing some crazy stuff. <laughs> no, it's just so funny the like how they went from being a grinding slow team to now they just. It's a complete one. I mean, there's never been more of a complete 180. So, um, and and I imagine they're going to shoot a lot more threes than UC will. I'm sure UC will take it to the hole quite a bit, and I would imagine we'll see uh, more than a handful of slam dunks from the Bearcats tomorrow. Which I think if you're if you're going to BB and T, you haven't been there. I mean, you're going to be entertained on that first day. And so, it, it, the first three games, I think we know foregone conclusions it, it should be three beatdowns in a row with western carolina and coppin state both you know coming off pretty subpar years um so you know it's just kind of like some tune-ups 
and uh, just to get the young guys, the, the freshmen in Canebrim, the, the transfer some minutes and just to get a feel for everybody playing together before it gets uh, more challenging when they go to the Cayman Islands in, in a few weeks. And then it gets real, real fast. We'll, we'll hit on that stretch yeah. uh, of games here as we, uh, oh. we go. Yeah, what, 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 so, what? Okay, so the Cayman Islands. So they sent out the, the, the uh, update on the TV and the, the broadcasting and stuff, and they're talking about the Cayman Islands games are on this thing called flowhoops.com. And I looked into it, and if that's the only place you can get the games – they're saying it's not. Okay, what do you got for me? It's also on CBS's uh, online streaming service, which I believe costs ten dollars, and okay. and then you can cancel it. Better than the other thing that costs twenty nine ninety nine for a yeah. month. So don't, don't do flow hoops. Do the the CBS deal. Okay, I'm glad. Okay, good. All right. Well, either way, so big deal. We paid ten bucks, I've, and you I've, should see three pretty good games. I've been sitting in a hospital chair, like in a in a room for eleven days. I'm up on my uh, internet reading. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look too deep into that. I just I only went to the site that they told us that it was on, and I said, "There's no way that you, they're going to charge thirty bucks for three games." And I, that, I mean that that's especially when you have a potential. You know, pretty big matchup in the finals against Iowa if they get there, and you know, I don't know. People would be pretty upset about that, I'm sure. Yeah, so I want to talk about something, Bird. What you got? I'm not a big expectations guy. Okay. Um, for, for, for most situations, I feel like even if it's, you know, like if I have an expectation, like who cares? Like what's, what's, that, what's that mean about it? Like, I expect this team to do this, and I expect this team to do that. Like, great, they're going to do what they're going to do one way or the other, and, like, it, you determine what your expectations are. Congratulations on whether you feel satisfied or upset <laughs> right. at, at the end of a, a five-month season. Yeah. Um, I expect a lot from this team, man, and, and here's why. It's, it's so rare when you have all the pieces of the puzzle or most of the pieces of the puzzle. Like – when you're looking at this team and you see Jacob Evans and 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 what are you doing? Are you talking? Are you, to, are you peeing? Talking, no, I was just filling some water. I got the, the, cul, the culligan here. I, 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 was, I was I'm a little parched, so I thought that when you were talking, I was going to get a little hydration here. Did you do it right into the microphone? That's the loudest thing I've ever heard. That's amazing. This thing must be. Must pick up some pretty good sound because uh, I, I mean, it was it wasn't right into it; it was right next to it. But <laughs> all right, go back to your exp- your expectations that you don't normally have. Well, I, I just think this team is built right. Like you don't, it takes all the pieces falling into place at the exact right time to have the type of firepower that this team has and the type of depth that this team has. Yeah, you like you know, there's some some question marks. How long is it going to take Kane to to really get into form at this level, adjusting to a new school? What exactly is the the bench production going to look like? How good are the freshmen going to be? There's questions, but there's also a lot of answers on this team. And and when Tons of them. when you have a team built like this, you got to win big, man. Like yeah. I, I expect a lot. Like I if this team doesn't make the second weekend, then I, and I. I very rarely say this. I think it's a it's it's a letdown. If this team is healthy and performing at the level that they should perform, this is a second weekend team that's got a chance to play in an elite eight in a in a shot at a trip to a final four. Like they've got to go out and take advantage of this talent that they have this year and really make the most of it because it might be another four years before you see everything fall into place like this roster has right now. Well, you mentioned the depth and the firepower, but you left out the togetherness. And that's something Kyle Washington talked about after the Bellarmine game and that this team is as close knit as can be. They all pull for each other, but I also add into that the, the disappointment of last season and the something to prove chip on the shoulder deal from that. So they have the motivation they have the depth, they have the firepower, they have the togetherness. So yeah, and they have they have everything you you could want on a college basketball team, short of a couple of lottery picks. But you, if you look across the roster, there are a lot of potential pros across the board 
especially on the wing with with Cumberland and Evans. I mean, they, look, we've I've been watching UC basketball for what, almost thirty years now, and and I it's it's hard to think of a, a better combo than that on the wing. I mean, I guess obviously you could go all the way back to the nineties and with Herb Jones and. And maybe you know somebody else like because Herb Jones. Herb Jones is probably the closest to either one of those two guys as far as being able to score inside and out, do pretty much everything on both sides of the ball. I I, mean, I, I would say you almost have two Herb Joneses on the same team. I would go if I was going to pick one better than this team. I would go Dermar and Pete Michael. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was and, pretty and, good. And really, yeah, and really, <laughs> and really, Pete Michael. You know, Pete Michael was was also uh, he, he played down low quite a bit, and, and uh, they put him out on the perimeter a little bit that the year when they were number one. But the year before, he he was he was in the post quite a bit and um, wasn't as much of a stretch the floor kind of guy. And then Demar also was was a little one dimensional on on his offense as well. So, but like both these guys can, uh, yeah. I, I think I mean that's why I might I might make the argument now. You know, then you look at the okay. Cumberland seems like he's got the the dog in him, like we've said, and and it remains to be seen whether Evans and and also the other part about that though is does is that does he really need to have that because uh, yeah I want to talk so about much, that I want to talk yeah, about that okay because because if you look at the rest of the team and there's you know Broom seems like he's a guy who will take charge and 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 go get a bucket or go get fouled when you need it and so will Cumberland and and you know Kyle and Clark and, and Gary as well. I mean, Evans can do it, and there's going to be times where they're going to need him to do it. But I don't know that he has to be out there really just from all 40 minutes or whatever he plays having to be in attack aggressive mode nonstop. I mean, I think he, like Mick said, he, he's so advanced at like just understanding and having a feel. Like you asked him about taking five shots in the preseason, and he's like, dude, he knows. Like he doesn't have to take any. He shouldn't he didn't have to take any shots. Like he just wants to – he, he kind of gets it, but – but you know that that brings up a conversation because I know that that's been something that we've we've talked about. You know, does he need to have that? And you know, wh- where are you on that right now, looking ahead to this season with with Evans? Um, here's the thing with Jake. He's one of the most efficient players in the country. Do you do you really want him going away from that? Do you really want like is that? I guess my thinking is, is that really what we're asking? Is, man, if Jacob Jacob Evans could just be more inefficient. Yeah. Because he lets the game come to him. He, he, yeah. He makes the right play. He makes the right pass. He's not going to take a bad shot. He's going to move the ball to the open guy. And, like, if this was a different team, if this was a team with, you know, one other scorer and then three high-level defensive guys – then, yeah, it would be a big problem. Right. Because he would have to hunt shots. But on this team, do you do you want him and Gary Clark, like, unnecessarily hunting shots? No, you don't need it, and you don't want it. <laughs> I, I agree, because guess what? Jaron Cumberland and Kyle Washington are going to shoot. And Kane's going to shoot. Kane's going to shoot. I think it, it is, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have two – of the best, like, all-around guys in the country in the middle of that, facilitating that. Leading. Leading that, Defending. Right. Def- I mean, you know, we, we know how good of a defender Gary Clark is, but I, I don't think there's anywhere – I've never seen anything, read anything, heard anything nationally about how good of a defender Jacob Evans is. Yeah. And Mick even said, I think heading into last season, he said, look, you, you just don't get freshmen that, that – that are that advanced defensively um, that like Evans was his first year. And I mean, he, he, there's nothing he can't do. Now, the other part about it is, and is, is Cumberland on the other side. He also graded out as a, as an excellent defender on synergy last year and led the team in steel percentage. Completely so, different defender, completely oh, yeah, different, completely defender different but still but effective. effective. Right. Yeah. And, and adva- and for, for a young player to, to have the, you know they have the, the the cognitive ability to play defense. It doesn't necessarily mean you know Evans. You figure is quicker and more physically gifted as far as athleticism, but but it doesn't matter. I mean, it, as long as you know what to do and you have instincts, and it all adds up to they're both damn good defenders on the wing. And 
off. So they're like, look, Mick, we've talked about this too, but Mick has said it's the, the guys who can do both offense and defense are usually gone after one year. And so the Bearcats are fortunate enough to have two of those that already have one and two years under their belt playing college basketball. So, yeah, I mean, on the wing, it is just – it's as high of a level as you can get for where Cincinnati is in the pecking order of the country right now. And then, I mean, the the front court, we don't I need to spend that much t- – Yeah, go ahead. Is Kyle Washington somehow now underrated? I, I was just getting to him, and – that's funny that you said that because nobody's think, talking about Kyle Washington. You're right. Nobody. And, and and you know what? When they do talk about him, they talk about the the, the things that he can't he supposedly can't do. Right. Um, for some reason, now defensively, we know the whole deal with that. He's he's it's an uphill battle for him coming from NC State to here, and he signed up for it. And last year, he had he had his problems, but. He ranked as very good on Synergy. I don't understand. I just don't get that. Like he, he apparently did okay in certain situations. But can I, I just that, say that 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 might be why you don't put a ton of stock in Synergy? Yeah, you Maybe. can say that. At least okay, in well, terms of those like those defensive rankings and some of that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But I will say this: I I sat there on Sunday and and last Wednesday, and I had. I sat right in the middle of the court and I watched him and he is engaged. He's talking. I'm sure he did that. Some of that last year too, but he's, I think he's saying the right things now. Um, I think, you know, he, he's, if you try hard enough at something, you're eventually going to get better at it. Not necessarily going to be incredible at it. I think he's better. I yeah, think he's, he's better. Got, all he has to do is be better. Not, he doesn't have to go from, you know, where he was last year to like a defensive player of the year candidate. But as long as he's he, he knows what's going on, he's not losing his mind, he's just staying focused on what he needs to do and paying attention to the scouting report and relying on you know, the fact that he's got a guy next to him and, and a guy like Jacob Evans out there that can you know just make up for whatever. So he doesn't have to worry too much about doing that much. He just play your game, do what you got to do. And, yeah, and then on the other end, did you notice that he has a right hand now um, on, the, uh, on the block? Yeah, he's been used, he's been used definitely a little bit more. It's he's got it's a nice it's just like it's like a nice little turnaround with backspin and an arc from four to six feet soft, just like his left hand shot. So, you know, hey, as, if he can if he can if somebody tries to take away his left hand and he has a counter, that's what we talked about last year with him. Like everything with him was great, other than his defense and he was very left hand dominant with his moves and. Pretty much we said, what do you got to work on? Well, defense and a, and a counter move. Looks like he's made strides in both of those areas. I agree. I think he I, – I, that's the I, – I just started thinking about that the other day. Did some – like somewhere along this path, Kyle Washington became underrated. Yeah. <laughs> because nobody is talking about him at all. It's all about Kane Broom. It's all about Evans and Cumberland and obviously Clark because he's a senior. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's out, of, out of the five, yeah, and he, I mean, he can put the points on the board. Man, he's been efficient as hell so far too. Well, no, it's not. The thing with him, and and if we're you know we're being honest here, the thing with him, he's got to show it in big games. Right. That's where we haven't seen it from him yet. Mm, well, he that Rhode Island game. Okay, there's one. And I mean, if we go Houston back, on the road, yeah. Okay, you're right. I know. Over, yeah, I know what you mean. If we go back to Butler and UCLA and SMU and the biggest of the big games last year, those were not his best performances. There's not one of those games you could look at and think, man, Kyle really played well that day. Right. And he knows it. I've I talked to him about it. Like, he knows when the chips are down, he's got to be better. But I think he's ready for that. And, you know, there's sometime, you, there's something to be said for – being too hyped up and putting too much pressure on yourself in scenarios like that. And, you know, the Butler game, I think, was the one where he maybe what, he was getting pushed around a little bit and he just kind of it took him out of his game and he, he lost his mind a little on that one. That gave but some think, of the better teams a blueprint on Kyle Washington. It did. It and did. he's got to think, overcome that. But I think we know what kind of emotional guy he is. And, and you know, and, and so I think that that's, that factors in. So I'm sure that – with a year under his belt, he knows what to expect now and and how teams are going to play him, and, and I'm sure that they have gone through every you – know, sh- 
he's a smart guy. He 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 yeah. he's had to have looked into like handling emotions, and he's looked in. I'm sure he's looked into all that stuff, and hopefully he's made some adjustments because if you have him scoring points and, and being effective in a, in a game. I mean, that was probably why they couldn't beat. That was the thing that was missing in a lot of those games to, to get some better wins and get a higher seed. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, that, I just wanted to, I wanted to touch on Jake because I, he's taken a lot of heat and I wanted to touch on Kyle because I don't think he's, he's maybe being respected enough for what he provides to this team as well. So you've got two phenomenal wings. You've got two big-time front-court players. You've got a point guard that averaged 23.5 points a game. You've got a bench that now, at least at three spots, has experience with Justin Jennifer as a junior, Trey Scott and Isaiah Brooks as uh, sophomores. So let's get to those freshman wings. Oh, yeah. Are they ready? Are they ready? They they certainly they certainly carry themselves as if they're ready. I think that you had mentioned the uh, the Brooklyn and the Houston, the big city, you know, type of feel for those guys. And that that Keith Williams seems like he I mean he's got about as quick a first step as as we've seen, and he likes to take it to the hole. He he crashes the glass. He can um, shoot it. He can shoot it. Yeah, he's it's not his best attribute, but he it's not he's not a horrible shooter. And then. And then Trevor's, he'll take a shot in, 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 against anybody. And But the greatest thing about Trevor already as a freshman is that he's not gonna, if he's ready to take that three and there's a guy closing, he will fundamentally fake and then dribble where he needs to to get a better look. And if it's there, he'll shoot it. And like that's exactly what you had said when you first saw him and you called me on a Sunday afternoon. You said, I think they found their shooter. And you you said his, he was so advanced in his mechanics that for a kid that age that seniors don't even have that in their arsenal. Well, so I, yeah, I, yeah, the thing I want to talk about about him, and we talked about this when he was a recruit. I want to talk about it again. Is his shot preparation, his shot, his pre-shot mechanics, right, are elite. You know what's funny? I don't think he can make shots when he's wide open. Yeah, we've seen. Yeah. Because I think like. Part of what makes him such a good shooter is that quick catch and release. And when he's wide open, it seems like he, he slows it down a little bit. He tries to tries to be perfect on that. And you don't get that. Like, if you go back to that Bellarmine game, those three threes he hit, right in rhythm, the, the, the mechanics and the, and the footwork and the, where his hands were on the catch and the shot preparation, everything was compact, everything, bang, and it's in. I think when he has time, he overthinks it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. But, but he's, he's young. not going to have a lot of time when you get into the big, like the big games. And the, the, the thing I love about both of those kids, the moment I don't think is going to bother them. I don't right. think. And with Trevor, it doesn't matter if he's missed five in a row. The other team still has to respect him, and it helps to stretch the floor and, and open things up going towards the basket. So just his presence will be enough. Even if he's not hitting them, and and from what we've seen from Keith already, like I said, he he just he just finds his way to the basket, whether with the ball or cutting, getting passes, you know, running down the floor, getting hit ahead passes, or or hitting the glass. And uh, I think I think he could be a real menace on the offensive glass if he does that consistently. I mean, he's 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 a, he can rise, um, he, he can finish with either hand. He he's a handful. I think that. He, Opposing teams are already dealing with the wings that are on the floor with Evans and Cumberland. You bring a kid like him in against the team's second unit. I mean, it could be trouble for some for some teams this year. Yeah. Um, the question I get asked probably more than any other question is: Someone going to redshirt? Yep. I'm I'm leaning towards no. Yeah. I. You know, I, I, here's why. Generally when we've gotten through the two exhibition games and we've gotten to this point, there's some chatter, there's some talk, you hear some whispers. And I guess we'll know tomorrow. If one of those guys doesn't play tomorrow, if, and I think we're going, I think he wants to be called Aleel. I think he doesn't want to be called Ellie anymore. Really? I, I, the, that's a rumor I heard going around yesterday when I was on campus. He, Aleel Sosemi and Mamadou Diara, okay. if they both play tomorrow – 
they're not going to redshirt. Now, isn't there – what's the cutoff for – There is no cutoff. There's an injury cutoff where if you get So if injured, a guy plays one minute, it's one, over? If, if they play one second, they are not redshirting. Because that used to be like six or no. seven games. Okay. No, that's an injury. No, okay. You've okay. got 30%. You've got like 30% of the season. If you get injured in the first 30% of the season, you can redshirt. Yeah. Medical. But if you play one second in one game, and that's been the rule, that that's you're just getting the two mixed up in your brain. If you play, you're you're in for that season. I think we're right. going to see both of those dudes tomorrow. I could be wrong. I might have to eat my words on that. I think if it's going to be one of the two, it's going to be Mamadou. Um, just because I think he's got a lot of ground to make up in terms of learning the game. I think his skill and his talent is off the charts. But I think playing in a system, playing in a team system is something that he's going to have to adjust to, and I think he's got a ways to go there. Yeah. But, if he... man, here's the thing, Berg. If you let him play in November and it starts to click, and by January or February you've got a 6'10 freak, that is a secret weapon off the bench, that could change some games. I mean, it, he's got to learn right now that, you know, he's got a little bit of uh, machine gun in him when he when he gets into the game because he's trying to make something happen and, and trying to show his talent, which, you know, has to be reined in into playing within the system. But I, I was watching him yesterday before practice, and he was, you know, going through warm-ups. He hit 17 straight shots from 15 to 20 feet. Mm. And bank shots, step backs, catch and shoot. Just a million different, you know, every other shot was a different aspect of his skill level. And almost every one was nothing but net. That's just not natural for a dude that size. I, I don't know, man. I I might want to have him around just in case. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's maybe it's wasting a year. Um, I think the reality is if he comes anywhere close to realizing his ceiling, I don't think he's here four years anyway. Yeah, but but when you watch a Leo, different. I mean, animal. He's ready. Yeah, he's when ready. I say animal, I mean animal. Yeah, I mean he he appears ready because. Uh, he just finds his way to the basket. He's strong with the ball, and uh, he seems to know what he's doing. He, and I don't know if it's a matter of he hasn't played as long, so he hasn't developed bad habits. At least they can say, here's how you set a screen, and he just does it. And here's how you do this. Is. Yeah. And and so you can I, – I, I think it's a trust factor with, with Mick, with you know who he puts in the game. where And a guy like him can be trusted – in, in, in any kind of an important game, I just can't imagine seeing Diara on the floor in a. You now this is so early in the season, but uh, I agree. In an important I game, I just, I just, I can't. I, mean, I don't know what he's like on defense. You don't know what he's going to do when he gets the ball. And uh, whereas, whereas you, you know what you're getting with Sasemi, and you just you figure you're getting extra possessions at the very least with how he gets offensive boards. Like they, it's almost like he's a magnet for them. And, uh, and, and, you know, like I said, he carves out space. I mean, he's had a couple buckets where he's just got really deep positions, sealed his man and just put it up and in. I mean, for a, for a guy who's only been playing a couple of years to already be able to do that, you know, granted against pretty inferior competition, but either way, just the, the idea of doing it, that's something that you, some big guys, it takes them a few years to be able to do. And that's what you want every big guy to be able to do is just yeah. a deep position, seal a dude, get the ball and put it up and in. We've had guys before who, why can't you do that? Well, he can already do it. There was, so, there, there was a funny line in practice about a week and a half, two weeks ago, where Ellie, Ellie got the ball, and he was outside the charge circle. And instead of looking to the rim, he was pretty wide open. Instead of looking to the rim, he passed it. And the, the guy sitting next to me said, yep, he knew he was out of his range. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. I mean, unless he just puts it up off the glass or right into the rim, it, it he just it it's, it just doesn't look like any kind of a, a natural shot. Yeah. But his free throw looks it doesn't look that bad. No, it's bad, dude. It doesn't look that bad for it's bad. a guy. It's bad. I mean, okay. Well, I, 
it, it, the funny thing is, is you'll see him bang a couple here and there where he'll where he'll find a rhythm and make three, four, five in a row, and then the next two he airballs. Like he there, yeah. he doesn't have any consistency or 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 um, familiarity in going to the free throw line and having like a routine and releasing the ball the same every time. Um, that's not there yet. Uh, him on the free throw line, uh, right now, not good. Okay. Well, but again, he's not, they can teach it to him. Yeah. I feel like he's, he's not, he's hasn't well, had bad habits and stuff yet. So I, I've never seen a kid that, um, literally you tell him what to do and he does it exactly like you tell him. Yeah. I mean, it's instant. There's no like. You tell him what to do, it, he, it, it absorbs, and he goes and does exactly what you said to do. Which, for a coach, and that goes back to the trust thing you mentioned. Right. That's a head coach's dream. Yeah, and I don't know that Mamadou's quite ready to be at that level of no, he's not understanding and, and application on directives. But either way, you've got, for, for two big guys that uh, weren't ranked that high, or I don't know, was Mamadou even in the top 100 or 150? He was outside the top 150. He might have. I think he was around 200. Okay, and I think Mick said that uh, that Aaliyah was like outside the top 500. Nobody saw him. Yeah, he yeah. only played two events in America as a AAU kid, and right. the second one he was hurt. He didn't. So, he played a little bit, but he didn't play a lot. Yeah. So, so I mean, you got two. You got two fines there. You got Trevor Moore, who was again another off the radar guy because. He hadn't been seen, and they they immediately said, "Oh well, he can't dunk easily. So who cares about him? Even though he's six five and has perfect shot mechanics, like you said, especially his pre routine." And uh, and then and then Williams is is a mystery to me as to why he wasn't uh, more highly sought after for um, you know being the player of the year in the Brooklyn League, and 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 I don't know if maybe the, the Bearcats were just in on him first, and no, a lot he- of guys are. Keith Williams is the perfect example of what happens on the road at AAU. Um, he played on a team with, with some highly ranked guys. Uh, Isaiah Washington, that's at Minnesota now as a freshman. Uh, Moses Brown, that's a five-star. And Sid Wilson, that is at UConn now, early enrollee. He, he jumped up a class that was a high four, probably a five-star kid. So coaches go to those games. They have their, their sheets. And the sheet said, watch these three guys. And, okay. and you know what they didn't do? They didn't watch the guy that probably was making the most impact on the game for that team. Game in and game out. Be it defense, rebounding, um, putting the ball in the basket. He was a second leading scorer on that team. He was second in assists on that team. He was second in rebounds on that team. He always guarded the opponent's best perimeter threat. He was the, the go-to guy for that team in a lot of situations. But Isaiah Washington had the ball in his hands more, so he got the credit. And that's what happens in those situations. Like, hmm. coaches go to those games like, look, man, go back and look at Trevor Moore's numbers. That Houston Defenders team was loaded that Trevor Moore played on. Coaches were sitting there watching that. What would you not like about a six-five two-guard that shoots 40-plus percent from three and has, yeah. has perfect mechanics? Yeah, they, they, you're they're right. Not, it's like the, they're not watching. Right, it's like the sleight of hand. Like they just didn't. Well, they're they, there. They, he most he of snuck them, by them. Not even that. The thing is, Berg. Most of them aren't there to scout. They're there to be seen. Yeah. So you know, we're recruiting Isaiah Washington. So we've got to be at Isaiah Washington's game. So they go and they sit there with their logo on, and they're at Isaiah Washington's game, but they're talking to their buddy next to him, and they're not actually paying any attention to the game in front of them. Yeah. And that's how kids like that slide through the cracks and end up at Cincinnati. Well, hey, it's better for Cincinnati. And, well, and, and it, it, As you know, that's the one thing that Mick and his staff do. You've seen them on the road. Yeah. They, they are scouting the game. Yeah. That they're watching. And that's, that's how you end up with kids that, like you said, like a Keith Williams or a Jacob Evans or whoever that uh, get overlooked. Like, it's interesting how that works, but, I mean – that's how that's their that's their sweet spot, and that's what they have to do because they're not getting Isaiah Washington, and they're not getting those other guys. So, the the grade on Keith Williams was a ten, which I think is is that kid would have been the MVP of the a ten by the time he a sophomore or a junior. 
Yeah. And the grade on on Trevor Moore was slack. I know. Okay. We'll see. We yeah, might, we like, find out here real soon, but I think both of those grades were egregiously wrong. Yeah, and that and then that see and that goes back to fans or, or whoever saying you know who else is recruiting him and who else offered him and that's how we know how good he is and that's not necessarily true. What what would I don't want to? Yeah, let's not go. Let's not go into that too deeply. Well, I'm just saying. I just want to make a point. I want to make a point. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. What was considered probably Mick's best recruiting class in terms of the recruiting rankings? Uh, the one with like way back, like the Larry David. No, no. Um, it's either going to be first or second on the list. I can't remember uh, well, specifically. Well, the Cashmere and Yancey one. No, this is a big class, and that's why. And it had it's it's Shaq Thomas, Jermaine Sanders, Jeremiah Davis, G. Oh, Lynn, right. Um, uh. Day Day? Uh, Octavius Ellis. No, Day Day oh, was Troy. Day Day was okay. Troy and Kevin. Okay. okay. But that class was ranked really, really, really high. I think they were top 15 in the national recruiting class rankings. This class was ranked in the 60s. From day one, this class has looked better than that class did. Yeah. And that's... That's... Putting your trust in recruiting rankings 101. Right. Go yeah, find guys that can play. Yeah. And fit your culture and fit your system. Jacob Evans said it in that um, that series that they're doing on, on Go Bearcats, which has been really good, the journey. Yeah. Um, that they kind of, you know, borrowed from the Big Ten. He said, these guys got here and they fit. They, they were instantly, I don't know how the coaching staff does it, but they know how to find guys that come in. And all of our personalities click. And that's just as big a part of it as anything. But you have to have talent. And I don't think anybody has watched these four kids, uh, at least in this very early stage of their career, and said, what are we thinking with those four guys? Yeah. And you know what? Another part about all this is, and we talked about the starting five and, and then maybe you know the next three guys off the bench, but um, when, you're, when you're at this level and you're not one of the, the Blue Bloods, it, it's like – you're as strong as your weakest link is a lot of times what, what coaches will say. And you look at the, the last, whatever, four guys on the team or whatever it is, and they can all play. Right. And, and so you look at some of the other teams of recent, uh, in, in recent history here and the last four guys on the team, you don't want them on the floor. You don't want the ball anywhere near them. And my dad has this thing where he, he, Certain players are, are, are called not you players. Like when they get the ball, you're like, not you, not you, not you. Get, you know, get rid of it. And you know what? We, we've had some of those guys uh, at Cincinnati it's just over the years. And I don't know that there's really anybody that's going to be playing in the rotation this year that, that you're going to be saying that about, which is, is part of that weakest link, link theory. Yeah, I agree. So there you go. I concur. All right, man. Well, we said we weren't going to go very long, and we were already at like 45 minutes because if you get us talking about UC basketball, we literally could just sit here and talk for hours. Yeah. And it's, well, and it's, and it's Christmas Eve for Justin Burke. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, Savannah State, I can't wait to see this. And you, you get to open your presents at noon. It is the first D1 versus D1 game in the country of the season. Oh, Okay. There's uh, I uh, Rick mentioned this today. Rick Rick Boring mentioned this today on the uh, the Skinny podcast. Western Michigan plays a game at like ten thirty on the first day every year to say that they're like the first game. But this year they're playing a D two team, so I'm, mm. not, I'm not counting that. That doesn't count. I'm not counting that. So the Bearcats at noon at BB and T Arena are the first D one versus D one game in the country. And you know what's great about that, Berg? What's that? They're going to be the last game in the country, too. Oh, all right. That's your prediction. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun, though, wouldn't it? That would be fun symmetry. Oh, yeah. You were the no first doubt about game, it. and then you were the last game. Wire, yeah, like wire to wire, like wire the to wire. Reds. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, that, that, that Reds team back then, that was the tradition, right? The Reds got to open the season. They were the yep. first pitch of the season in Major League Baseball back in those days. 
They never fell out of first place. They threw the first pitch of the season. They threw the last pitch of the season. They won the World Series. Maybe that's the Bearcats this year. They win the first jump ball of the year. They, they uh, cut down the nets. They cut down the nets. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about it, Bird. I'm all about it. Did you, no doubt. I, I, I predicted my final four this year um, on the Skinny Podcast. I went Duke, Michigan State, Cincinnati, and Xavier. Cincinnati and Xavier are going to play in the uh, final four to go to the championship game, and the Bearcats are going to win. Oh. <laughs> you would have a heart attack if that game happened. I just – yeah, that's that's the other thing. And the last thing I will say is is my biggest question is can Cincinnati beat Xavier twice in a row for the first time since I believe Art Long's first year on campus there. It's been um, a long time. It's been it's been I think ninety four, ninety five or, or ninety five, ninety six, like the year before they lost that uh Lenny Brown game. So it's been a long time. Xavier obviously on the come up in the last two decades and kind of taking control of uh yeah, so and, and I saw that somebody picked them to win the whole thing and well, that's hilarious. Well, it, why? It was, why? It, was, it was Tom Crean, and Tom Crean hates Chris Mack and Travis Steele. Hates them. So that was like a... Um, a jinx? Not a jinx as much as like, oh, yeah, let's put the heat on them. Let's make them have to answer questions about being picked to be the national champion by Tom Crean. Well, if they do, if they do get there, a lot of people on Twitter are going to not be able to say they're well, what Xavier hasn't been in the Final Four or whatever, you know. Yeah, that's, that's going to stink if, if that ever goes away. Yeah, but it's still, it's it's like, I, I just, I don't agree with that being a thing to say. Uh, hey, when, well, it's smack talk, Berg. I know, I know. I just, I just, I'm not. I don't love it, but it's smack talk. I know. Until you talk yeah. your rival. Yeah. Because they just, like to say, oh, whoa, well, yeah, Cincinnati's talking about the, the 60s when they won their title. Yeah, well, we're talking about never. <laughs> you jerk offs. Yeah, well, it's they're not going anywhere. I, they just keep getting players, and it's frustrating. But uh, either way, December two will be a huge one. I'm not as excited about that as tomorrow, though, because uh, that one's just going to be tougher to deal with. This one's going to be more fun. Yeah, tomorrow should be fun. Bert, yes, thank sir. you, sir. I'll see you there. I'll see you there again. Thanks to everybody for all the prayers and the support. Uh, it's meant a lot to me and my family. Thank you, Berg. You have been checking on me. Uh, daily as well, and uh, it's good to know you got my back, brother. Yes, sir. I will talk to you guys soon. I will see some of you tomorrow, and it's go time. As uh, the late Cincinnati public address announcer uh, made his catchphrase, it's basketball time in Cincinnati tomorrow at noon, and it's going to be a hell of a season for the Bearcats. Let's get it on, Justin. Yep, except it's not in Cincinnati. It's in northern Kentucky. Close enough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, I've lived in Northern Kentucky all my life, and when anybody asks me where my where I'm from, I say I'm from Cincinnati. So it counts. I know, I know. It counts. We're people over here too, Justin. Yeah, there's just some water in between. It's not like it's that far away or anything. Well, the people on both sides treat it like a moat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Ohio people can't cross this way. The Kentucky people can't cross that way. But that's a story for another day. Yeah. All right, man. That's gonna wrap it up. Get some sleep. I'll see you at uh, BB&T Arena tomorrow. Yes, sir. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Justin Berg. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.